Welcome to Frontline Static, a podcast that helps bridge the gap between work life and home life of healthcare workers, first responders, and military personnel. Okay. Okay. We're starting. We don't know what we're doing. But <laughs> here we are. <laughs> but we're going to be really professional. Ready? Go. Yes. Okay, go. <laughs> Should we listen to it? Uh, all right. <laughs> Okay, so Janessa just played me back my voice, and I realized I sound like a man, like a, a not attractive man. Okay, Celeste, tell us a little bit about yourself and explain why you sound like a man today. Okay, we'll just start with I'm getting over a cold or flu, and today is my first day back at work, so sorry for the way that I sound. Oh, of course. <laughs> Okay, we're going to try this again. Okay. I'm joined by Celeste today. We are at work, so we may or may not get called out during this recording. But Celeste, tell us a little bit about yourself and why your voice sounds like a man, a 70-year-old man specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I swear I look a little bit better than my voice sounds, I swear, (laughs) but only a little bit. Um, I am getting over a cold, so today is my first day back at work from some type of really bad flu that knocked me on my butt for the last couple days. Um, But uh, my name is Celeste. I'm one of the H2 pilots here with Janessa. Um, H2 is the particular helicopter that I work on. Um, I am one of four pilots that work with her here at Skylife. Um, on that helicopter, along with some of the other helicopters that are here as well. Um, and How long have you been a pilot? Um, I have been a pilot for, I believe it's 11 years now. Um, I started flying when I was pretty young. I started flying when I was 18 years old. Um, and I had known that I wanted to be a pilot ever since I was a little kid. When I was like six years old, I wanted... I knew I wanted to be, well, I told my parents I wanted to be an astronaut at the time. And then it turned into a Blue Angels pilot and then a NASCAR driver. Um, And then I didn't really ever think it would happen. And then it turned out that I went to college for it. So I've been flying since I was 18. um, And I've had a couple of different jobs and then ended up here in EMS um, for the last three and a half years. Okay. And you came from an EMS family, right? Yes. Yes, my parents, so my mom is, my mom and dad were both firefighters. My mom was a firefighter engineer, and then my dad was a firefighter paramedic. And so that's kind of why I got into EMS. Um, When I was like 15 years old, I had decided that I wasn't going to be able to be a pilot. I didn't think it would ever work out. And my mom was working on a fire, and she saw the helicopters dropping water on it. And she was like, you know, she called me up, like sitting underneath the helicopters and was like, Celeste, this is exactly what you want to do. You said you wanted to go into fire and you said you want to fly. Like, what if you did both? And I was like, what, mom, I can't do that. And then for my 16th birthday, she got me an intro lesson into a helicopter. And so then I was like, well, sorry, mom, this is what I want to do for the rest of my career. Good luck. (laughs) So you knew you wanted to be a helicopter pilot at the age of 16. Mm Mm-hmm. And then 18 was when you actually got your license. Mm-hmm. And then what like were the requirements to be able to work EMS? Like, did you always know that you wanted to specifically go into EMS as a pilot? Um, I thought I wanted to fly fires. So that's what I was originally like kind of gearing my career towards. Okay. So you knew you wanted to be a pilot at 16. Correct. Yes. So 
Um, when I was 16 years old, I did that intro flight, and then um, my mom actually had a coworker whose son had gone to a school called Embry-Riddle, which was the civilian way of doing flight training um, and also getting a four-year degree. So that's why she encouraged me to go over there. Um, so I applied, got in, um, and then that is where I went and I got my bachelor's of science in aeronautical science. And then I did my flight training at the same time. Um, at the time they were contracting with a helicopter company called Universal Helicopters. Um, so I did all of my flight training through them while I was finishing my degree. And then um, I did my private instrument commercial um, instrument rating for CFI and CFI all with them and then um, continued on to be a flight instructor with them so then I flight instructed while I was finishing up my uh, degree with them as well um, and then I worked there for like three years while I was after I graduated um, and that was out in Arizona. So you ended up getting your degree in aviation but that's not a requirement right to become a pilot you don't have to do that no it's not um it, honestly most helicopter pilots the airlines are starting to require more pilots to have um, degrees but for helicopter jobs it's still it's very rare to find one where a degree is required it was just something that my mom basically uh, made an agreement with me like yeah you can go be a pilot that's fine but you better have a degree as a backup so okay so that was why I ended up at Embry-Riddle as well okay so what's the requirement for the EMS portion of it like for us you have to have a certain amount of years of critical care before we can go into it what is it for you guys to go into EMS so um, I'm gonna forget some of the requirements but the main requirement is that you need to have 2,000 hours of total time in order to apply to be a pilot here um, and you have to have, I think it's 1,500 of PIC time. Um, and then there's some other smaller requirements on top of that, like you need, um, when I was applying, I think it was 200 hours of night. I think they may have backed that down to 100 hours of nighttime. Um, you need 500 hours of cross-country experience, at least if you're gonna apply for like some of the IFR jobs um, where you would need an ATP with your airline transport pilot's license. Um, and I think you needed a thousand hours of turbine time. That's, that's the main thing. The, the normal progression for most people is a lot of us will become flight instructors or we might do some agricultural spraying. Like I have a lot of friends here that did that. Um, but all of us need those building blocks to get our time, our flight hours. Um, so once you do that, you usually will become certified flight instructors, do that for a thousand hours. Then once you have a thousand hours of flight instruction time, then you move on to your next job, which is you get your turbine time, which means that you're going to fly a larger helicopter that has a turbine engine in it. Um, so that's why so many of us here, especially at like Skylife, have done tours in the Grand Canyon, or some people did tours in Hawaii, or um, some people go to the Gulf of Mexico to fly out to the oil rigs out there. And that's again, so they can get that turbine experience. Um, and then once you have the 1,000 hours of turbine experience and then the 2,000 hours of total time, then you can start applying to the EMS jobs, which is okay. how I got here. So let's talk about like your most memorable tour experience that you had. Do you have any most memorable experience? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, most memorable experiences. Um, there's lots, I all of us remember, like all of us have flown so many people. I've probably flown to the I did I was there for a long time I was there for like three years which I doesn't sound like a long time but in tour experience that's like I was there for 10 years most people stay for a season 
Um, and so at that, like, I don't know, I probably threw, flew 8,000 people during that time. Um, I have no idea. On a day, on an, any given day, sometimes when we were doing like the short up and downs where we would take people from the top of the canyon to the bottom, I might have flown like 900 people on that day. Wow. That's um, a lot. That's a lot. Um, but let's see. And I'm sure no one ever got sick or no. you never got thrown up on. Nope. Yep. I definitely got barfed on a lot. Um, <laughs> every, I mean, everyone gets barfed in, everyone has people barf in the helicopter a lot. Well, there's a plane taking off. Yeah. We're at the airport, so you can hear the planes taking off <laughs> in the background. But um, I did have someone barf in my hair one time. It was this not very nice French woman, and she did not apologize for barfing in my hair and <laughs> down my back and all over my phone and all over my paperwork. It was super cool. We also cleaned that all ourselves. Oh. Now this is, I'm living in the luxury life because uh the med crew helps me clean up when people yeah barf. not much different but they puke on us instead of <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is not my problem anymore <laughs> um i remember one time so i flew in vegas i flew out of vegas and then we flew to the grand canyon from vegas there's people that fly like on the other side of the grand canyon too where they're just like only at the grand canyon um i think those tourists are a little bit different than the tourists we're dealing with yeah um I always remember this girl, she was in, it was 6 a.m., she had obviously not gone to bed, she was hammered out of her mind, <laughs> she was in a blue, like, halter sequin dress, and she had, like, six-inch stiletto heels on, and we land at the bottom of the canyon for this, right, so she's got to, like, walk around on the rocks down there, and so she gets out down there and is, like, trying to walk around, and then she decided to do a handstand, <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, all of the male tour pilots were very interested in what she was doing. <laughs> that was a good one. And of course it wasn't hot. Either, no, it though, wasn't. Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, it was real warm. And I love when people would come to the Canyon in July too, and it would be like 115 degrees and they'd be like, it's so hot. I'm like, yes, I know <laughs> you're here in July. Like that place called death Valley. It's literally right over there. It's uh, there's a reason it's called that. And it's really, really hot here. So Sorry. Also, sorry, you're going to be in it for 30 minutes and we're going to be in it for like 12 Yeah, hours. because I think people don't understand the AC, right? There's not like, they think AC, it's going to blow really well. Like, it's just not that great. It's not that great. And we, Janessa and I can attest to that here. You know, it's not that great in our helicopters now. These helicopters are better than the ones I was flying before, honestly. The, the AC in our old helicopter was great. It used to blow ice chunks at us here at Skylife, but um, our current ones now, it just when engineering makes a helicopter that's not really like the highest on their priority list. So it usually, it works, but it, it doesn't, like ours in the canyon, the requirement, the maintenance requirement for them was to cool down the outside air temperature by 16 degrees Celsius. So, you know, if it's 117 degrees at the bottom of the canyon, it's gonna cool it down to a lovely, like 99 degrees in the helicopter. Mm. So, yeah. And oftentimes we can't even turn ours on until it's starting up or mm -hmm. we're at a certain elevation too, so. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the different airframes for the people who are pilots that you've flown in and like what's your favorite one that you've, you've flown in before? Okay. Um, well, I started out, I did all of my training in the R-22 and R-44, the Robinson R-22 and R-44. Um, and then that is what I flight instructed in as well. Um, and then from there, I got a little bit of time in an MD-500 doing a little bit of long line experience. Um, so that's like what they do on the fires with the buckets and stuff mm. where they have like a long line with a bucket attached to it. Okay. Um, and then, uh, what else? And then from there I went, when I went to the Papillon, which is where I flew my tours at the Canyon, 
Um, I got to fly, we had the EC-130s and they had the, it's like a B-4 and the T-2 model. And then I flew the A-Stars, um, the B-2 and the B-3E, which the B-3E um, for any of the pilots out there was definitely my favorite helicopter. It's like flying the, I don't know, Ferrari of mm. helicopters. It's just like really, it's small and it's very maneuverable and it's fast and it's sporty and it has like unlimited amount of power for the stuff we were doing with it. It was totally ridiculous that we had them honestly to do tours in. It was a really good way to get yourself in a lot of trouble because they're real fun to fly, mm. but, but I enjoyed that one. Um, and then from there, did I fly? Then I came here and I worked at um, our other Skylife base down in Visalia and I flew the um, Augusta um, 119, the Koala, and uh, then I flew the 407, the Bell 407, and then I came up here and I flew our Bell 430 for a year and that was my favorite twin helicopter that I have flown. Um, and then now I'm flying the, um, the Airbus or EC-145, um, and then our backup is the BK-117, which is not my favorite. And you can hold two certificates, is that correct, for yes. Air Methods? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's not a certificate, but like Air Methods, I could technically right now fly an unlimited amount of helicopters per my license, okay. my commercial pilot's license. Okay. Um, for my job with Air Methods under their 135 certificate, their stipulation, just their own company rules, that we only fly two helicopters at one time, mm. which is probably a good thing, like... Now that I'm flying the twins, I really don't want to be flying four helicopters at once. It would just be way too much information. Yeah, way too much to keep up on. And, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what's your favorite part about this job? And then what's the most challenging part about this job? Hmm. My favorite part about this job is the people, for sure. Um, we have, obviously, a very unique base here where there's three aircraft here at one time, which means that there are always three crews here, and so it's like hanging out with a bunch of my buddies all day. Mm -hmm. It also reminds me a lot of the fire station, and when I was a kid growing up with my mom in the fire station and hanging out with all the buds there. So I love that part about it. I love having people to like bounce off my ideas, and I love working as a team, too, with people who know what they're doing. You know, doing tours for so long, with people who had absolutely no idea what was going on and just wanted to try and kill themselves all the time was not <laughs> ideal. Um, so it's really nice working with professionals that know what they're supposed to do around helicopters or even if they are new, are willing to learn and want to you know, gain insight into helicopters and what I'm doing. And I like talking to them about what they're doing medically. I love listening to you guys talk about all the medical stuff. It's awesome. I always say like my favorite part of this job is just like all of us come together from our different occupations who are great at what we do and then just get to work as a team. Yeah. So it's like you get to go to work every day with people who are at the top of their class and what they do and there's just something to be said about that. Totally. Yeah. And it's like and everyone I feel like here is so willing to you know they they're proud of what they've accomplished throughout their life so they're they're so willing to explain to you what's going on, what they're doing. I'm always like going down into the hospital with Janessa and everybody and like, what's going on? What are they doing? Why is that guy's chest cracked open? That's crazy. Let's talk about that too. When we go into the hospital, they don't care about us at all. They, they just ask, are you the pilot? Do you fly the helicopter? Yeah. And then the opposite of that is every time I go down into the hospital, they see a, you know, tall blonde girl and her like how much meds did you guys give i'm like oh 100 of fentanyl i don't know what that means but that's what they said 
So there's a definite misconception that we can fly and treat the patient at the same time. Yeah. And same with the pilots. But um, definitely they care more about the pilots than us. <laughs> but Celeste does get mistaken for the medical crew a lot. A lot. A lot, a lot. I, swear, I like, mean, because you are, you are the only female pilot at this base, right? Yes. 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 I think so. So how has that been for you? Um, it's been, it has been, I don't want to say fine. I have always personally had an overall good experience throughout my career. That doesn't mean that it's been easy all the time, but, um, I feel like I've always gone into it with an attitude that basically I'm just going to show everybody that I deserve to be here just as much as everybody else. And so that has made it okay. And I have proved myself throughout my career, but it doesn't mean that that's been easy. I mean, it, it basically means every time I go anywhere, I have to prove myself. I remember when I first came here, we had a manager um, who doesn't work here anymore, who asked me the very first question was, are you gonna be able to hang out with all the guys? <laughs> he also said a couple of other things that were maybe uh, not so politically correct about that. Uh, but I was like, yep, I'm going to be able to hang out with all the guys. Like, These are my buddies. It was funny, too, because I was always told that I had to be watch my mouth when I came to EMS mm. uh, because the med crews would be sensitive, and that is the exact opposite of what happened when I got here. So, But it's, I mean, it's, it's not easy being a woman in this career field, for sure. I mean, I'm sure even for you coming in, because you came here when... Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think predominantly this field is a lot of males, and um, I've always had the same belief and thought process, too. Like, I, it it wasn't easy at first, but you just try to do the very best you can and not think about it in that way, and somehow you overcome that because you can prove to everybody that you can do it just as much as they can, you know? And I think this job is very, like, 90% mental, like... Being able to get along with everybody and work as a team, like, you could, if you prove that to people, that's really what they see and that's really what matters. Yeah, totally. That's, it's, uh, there's those moments, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I, that's just, I don't know. You and I both uh, like to give it back to them, so. That's true. That's all you got to do is give it back to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what do you find the most challenging part of this job? Mm. For me... I think challenging, you know, up until this point, I, I was familiar with EMS, like I was brought up around it, but definitely becoming an actual first responder in the sense that I'm responding in a short amount of time. I mean, I'm never handling the patient. That's not my priority, but you know, the pressure is still there to perform at two o'clock in the morning. And so I think that was the hardest, you know, before I was doing jobs where I at least had time to wake up in the morning and get ready, drink my coffee, go to work, make sure I was like mentally prepared to do whatever flying I was doing that day. And uh, coming here and getting used to those calls at 1.30 in the morning for some scene call that's up in the mountains, that's dark, you're under goggles, it's smoky up there because it's fire season, whatever it may be. And then having the patient screaming in the back the entire time was definitely like a big wake up call. It, It took a while. Um, it took a while to get used to. My first call ever um, was a, a guy that got electrocuted. And I remember he was screaming the entire time. And I'm going through my checklist like, okay, number one. Uh, all right, seatbelts fastened. And they're like, yeah, just go. I'm like, okay. Um, so that w- I was like, is it always going to be like that? And everyone was like, no. <laughs> that, one, that one really put you through it for sure. 
Yeah, and how do you mentally prepare? Like, you know, our summers are really busy here, and we oftentimes are, you know, our base can run over a hundred calls in one month. So how do you mentally prepare for those summer months where we're just really busy and you're always going, 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 and it's really hot here? It's hard for sure. It's hard. It's hard to get used to. I don't know about you, but I just like, I have to come in just thinking I'm going to fly all day. Like I'm just going to be working all day long. And then it's, that's just what it is. Um, Janessa and I work different hours too. Like I work a 12 hour shift and I work seven days on seven days off. So I'm I have my seven days and then I have a week off and then I ha- work seven night shifts. So, um, and then Janessa works her 24 hour shifts. Um, but it, you know, I just have to be mentally prepared, like, especially when I'm nights and it, we're so busy, like mm-hmm. I'm just going to be up every night this week and it's just going to have to be okay and I'll make it through it. And then winter will come around and things will get easier, but yeah. I'm sure like you feel the same way by the September rolling around and we're in October now I'm I'm pretty burnt out yeah we, we we are very busy in the summer and I like that I like to be busy but at the same time it's 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 a lot when it's really hot outside too yeah, yeah for sure so how is it like growing up how was it having EMS parents like holidays and weekends and um you know them not maybe always being home during those times yeah I mean it's, it, you. I think like as a kid in that situation, you just don't know any different. Like I didn't know any different, so it didn't. It never bothered me. It just was just this is what we do on the holidays. Like Dad's working Thanksgiving, so we're gonna go to the, his firehouse. Her mom's working Christmas, so yeah. he's gonna bring me over there and we'll open presents at at her firehouse. Like it's funny. I actually ended up moving not very far from my dad's firehouse in Los Gatos for a little bit. And I walked by it with my dogs and I smelled them cooking and I was like, oh my gosh, it brings back so many childhood (laughs) memories because I spent so many holidays in that like room right there, just hanging out with the crew, having Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was just, it was just like my schedule was weird. I I still, I never really understood weekends because they never had weekends. You know, they worked kind of like you guys work. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's funny when I had a job where I worked like Monday through Friday, I hated it. And I never really understood that until I finally got a job where I was on a weird schedule again. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm just, I've never been used to a Monday through Friday schedule. I hate it. I hate it so much. That's like the number one question I get asked, (laughs) especially like as a mom and having four kids, like, how does that work with your kids? Like, do they care that you're not there in the holidays? And like, I always think they just go with whatever it is. The holiday is whatever day we make it is. It doesn't have to be on Christmas day. So it was kind of fun too. Yeah. It's like you know, your friends are celebrating Christmas on this day and you're like, well, cool. I get it to have it in two more days from now. So yeah. whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we're going to do this. I'm working Christmas. I work Thanksgiving, Christmas and New Year's, I think this year. So um, I'm sure I'll just bring my husband here and we'll just do that. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things too, is that working with people that you like to be around is that it's fun to be at work and to be working with those people. And yeah, you know, um, when you can't be at home with your family, it's it's good to at least be with people you enjoy hanging out with. Yeah, totally. And we have a ping pong table here too, which yeah, is pretty cool is too. True. It's true. And there, these are all my annoying brothers and sisters here. So. Yeah. Okay. So I think we should tell them a story about when, when we killed the spider that was in my room. Okay. <laughs> so it was what, maybe midnight yeah. or. It was late. 1130 at night. No one was like up. That. No one was up. So I text another pilot who was closer to my room and I text Celeste and the other pilot of course didn't answer. So Celeste comes running in 
I don't even know what you had with you. Did you have your shoe? No, I brought a broom with the dustpan. Oh, okay. So there's a big black spider on my wall. I was just watching it creep up the wall. I was laying in bed. So here comes Celeste with a broom and a dustpan. And then what happened, Celeste? Well, it didn't go as planned. I told you, Nessa, I was like, this, I feel like I might just knock him off and it's not going to go in the dustpan and that's um exactly what happened <laughs> and so then it fell and then Janessa screamed and then woke up the entire base <laughs> what? okay it fell onto my bed that's fair so I went to go get something to that's pick it up with right. and by the time it came back it was not on the bed anymore that's, it had got away that's true it's we don't know where I mean I caught it I stomped on it. it. Really what happened was I found a dead spider on the floor that I might have been that spider or might not have it was been. Not that spider. But I was like, that's it. I killed it, Janessa. You're welcome. Go to sleep now. So then it went under the bed. So then we took all the sheets off the bed. We put up the bed and all the furniture. We tried to find it and we still couldn't. Nope. Nope. But I tried really hard. And so I laid there... awake the rest of the night looking for the spider. Okay, what are the licensure requirements to be an EMS pilot? Um, so to be a pilot uh, in EMS, um, it's just the 135 requirements that you would need. So to basically do any type of commercial helicopter job, you need at least your commercial pilot's license, which means you would have a private pilot's license first, um, and then a commercial pilot's license, and then basically every EMS operator at this point requires an instrument license. Um, that is, oh, Janessa might be getting a call. We're checking. Let's see. Nope. Nope. We're it good. was our previous canceled call. Okay. We're canceled now. We're good. Okay. We got up for a second, but now we're back. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just, just that commercial pilot's license with that instrument rating. Um, and then for some, some helicopter jobs, they might require, like I mentioned earlier, an ATP, an airline transport pilot's license, which is really just... Um, a higher level of having that commercial pilot's license. It's kind of, I don't want to say irrelevant, but it, it matters a lot less for us as helicopter pilots just because uh, it's mainly there for airplane pilots that are taking uh, airplanes that have like a certain number of passenger seats. Um, there are very few helicopters in the world that have like enough passenger seats to even need that requirement. Mm. But because it's a higher level of training and a higher level of check rides that you have to take and get it and, and a knowledge test and everything, some places do require it. Um, so my, co my uh, opposite and I, so my day pilot, night pilot that we switch back and forth are both saying that we want to get it because um, it's, we just, we, have, we meet all the requirements. We just needed to go and take the test. Okay. Okay, so now that you've become an EMS pilot and you've accomplished that goal, like what's your goal after this or are you at your end goal now? Um, I really don't know. I know for a lot of my friends, this was their end all be all, their ultimate career goal. Um, and I am fortunate that I got into flying so young and therefore I got into EMS pretty young. Um, I love this job a lot. I'm not trying to go anywhere anytime soon, but I'm also 29 years old and I don't know that I'll be in this job for the entirety of my career. Um, so I'm not really sure. Um, people ask me that a lot in the hospital for whatever reason. They're like, what are you going to do when you move up? I'm like, this is a cool job. Why, why are you telling me I need to move up? Um, but I don't know. I, you know, corporate is a really good job that a lot of people um strive for so that would be like flying around ceos and stuff 
Um, that's one of the higher paying jobs that you can get as a helicopter pilot. It's also one of the jobs that has the worst schedule as a helicopter pilot. So uh, I don't know that I will want to do that. Um, there may be a time when I will try and go to fire, but at this point I've kind of directed my career towards EMS and not towards fire. So I would kind of need to take a step back and gain some more experience. Um, a car a car started next to us. <laughs> so we had to stop it again. We had to stop. All the eight to fivers are leaving right now. Yeah. And so <laughs> they're all saying goodbye to us and leaving at the same time. But um, anyways, uh, so, oh, look, there's <laughs> our head wrench just told us he's not leaving yet. Yeah, he can hear our whole conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it makes it better. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah, I might I might get in a fire. I don't know. I, I don't really know what I want to do when I grow up. I don't know about you, but it's like... I don't know what I want to be when I grow up either. Yeah, it's, it's kind of <laughs> wild when people are like, are you going to do this for the rest of your life? And you're like, Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> Crap. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? <laughs> so going into that, like, how do you handle the stress of this job because it is stressful. You know, I think we expect a lot out of the pilots. Um, you know, for me, it's a trust that we have to have that when our backs against the wall and things aren't going right with a patient that we can count on you guys to be calm and get us to where we need to be. Um, you know, land somewhere unexpectedly and then get us to where we need to be quickly. So it is, I, I'm sure, very stressful for you, too. How do you handle the stress of the job and um, your home life with everything? I think, I mean, it definitely is a challenge. That was a new challenge for me when I came to this job. I'm sure it is for every pilot that comes into EMS that was doing something like tours beforehand. Um, a lot of it for me is balanced off of just working with my crew and being able to communicate with them and also knowing that they have the trust in me. You know, it's like... It's a big thing when you can feel the people sitting in the back of the helicopter trust the decisions that you're making. And it's also very apparent when the people sitting in the back of the helicopter do not trust the decisions that you're making. So it's important to build that rapport with them outside of work or outside of that call so that they trust you when it happens. And then just for me personally, like I use exercise a lot as a way to de-stress. Um, I go for walks when I'm at work, when I'm feeling a little stressed out. Um, I'll go for runs here as well, you know, when it's not so hot. Um, and just like spending time with friends and family. I mean, just how we all do. But it, I mean, it, it builds up for sure, especially when we have like a bunch of really bad calls back to back. Um, I sure, I'm sure you feel that as well. Like, yeah, it's yeah. definitely hard to not have it carry over into your home life. Yeah, you gotta learn how to decompress in some way, whether that's taking time for yourself or doing something with your family after work. Um, just really decompressing the call and the stress of the day or whatever happened. Yeah, and it's weird when that carries over in like a way that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. You know, I always find myself like snapping about something that is totally irrelevant where my husband will be like, "What are you, why are you so grumpy about that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And sometimes it hits you right away and sometimes it takes a week or two weeks or a month, but it, when it hits you, it definitely does. Yeah, for sure. So one last question I have for you. What advice would you give um, someone who's trying to get into EMS as a pilot? So the best advice I ever got, and it sounds really simple and kind of dumb, but the best advice I ever got when I was a brand new baby pilot sitting in my private ground school, um, I was like one of 36 people in this ground school. I was the only girl. Everyone were 
everyone else was like military vets, so they were all 35, and I was 18 and young and dumb and blonde and zen in the back <laughs> and felt super out of place and like I shouldn't be there. And I actually had a female ground instructor who was amazing. She flies, she is a she, EMS pilot right now. She's like the regional director, I think, for her, the company that she works for in Texas, um, and she's badass. And she just came up to me one day and I was just like, I don't feel like I can do this. And she just told me, she said, just keep showing up. Like the best you can do is just keep showing up. Whatever it is you're doing, whether it's this class, whether it's your flight lessons, whether it's, you know, your job later on down the road, just keep showing up like and try and come and prepared and try and come and just start every day anew. And like it's a blank slate. And it seemed really dumb, but that was like the best I could do at the time. And it totally got me through all of those really bad times and I just kept showing up and it just kept finding a way to work through it so yeah no I love that that's great advice like we have to do that too in our job ongoing every day just show up and just be the best that we can be yep well thanks for joining me Celeste today yep. I really appreciate it yeah we, we didn't get any calls so. I know we yeah. made it through <laughs>